2 Thessalonians chapter 3, reading from verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honoured, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Thank you very much, Sheila. Now, on the back of the service sheet, um, I've uh, just written the verses down. I thought that would be simpler than trying to uh, impose an artificial structure on them. And uh, they speak for themselves and they're mighty powerful. Um, But let's pray as we come to God's word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this letter to this church in Thessalonica um, a long time ago, but in many ways contemporary and sharp and relevant and needful for us. And we pray that uh, you would uh, speak to us all. This is your word. Uh, Jesus leads this church through his word. And our job, all of us, is to come under its authority and to embrace it, to hear it, to receive it, to obey it, and to uh, use it to trust that it will lead us to your Son, the Lord Jesus, and raise our affections for him and in him. And so we commit our time now to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in Sunday mornings through the summer, our Bible book has been to Thessalonians. And let me just flesh out a bit of the context so this passage um, has real uh, bite and relevance. Uh, the, the local church in Thessalonica, when the Bible speaks about the church, it normally speaks uh, by, about the local church, so a church like uh, us. And all over the world through history, uh, the church is, is uh, manifested on the earth in local uh, gatherings. The local church in Thessalonica was one of the model churches in the New Testament. Model, in the sense, not big, large, with big staff team or anything like that, but just authentic in the right ways. The church started in the context of significant opposition. So the gospel came, it got a grip in in that community. But right from the start, Paul, the church planter, and the church faced significant opposition. When Paul writes his two letters, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, the church is still little, it's still young in years and a maturity. And in these early days, the opposition had not abated, it had intensified. But the local church there, this fledgling church had kept the faith, that just means they had kept holding on to the gospel they had been given and the word of God. And they had reached out with the gospel. And in the first half of 2 Thessalonians, the letter we've been looking at, What the Apostle Paul does is he sets out for them and us a kind of clear explanation of what normal Christian experience is like. So when you're going through something that might be hard, and when the Bible says, well, this is what you are to expect or normal, there's a comfort in that and a steadying effect in that. And the normal circumstances 
that uh, the apostle sets out for the church is that um, being part of a living gospel church, uh, there will be opposition and uh, uh, difficulty. Now, why is that? Well, the answer to that is because the church, the living church in the world expressed in local churches is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in the world, the kingdom of God in the world, the kingdom of God living in accordance with the word of God, which is different, a different way of living from the world's way. Different priorities, different patterns, different moralities, different allegiance, and a different king. As Christians, our allegiance is to Jesus as Lord, not any other Lord, idol, metal, or mental, or any other idol, but Jesus. And not ourself either. Jesus Christ is Lord and King. And that means that uh, through history and in many parts of the world uh, still, uh, the kingdom of God is manifestly out of step and distinctive vis-a-vis the culture. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world are not the same. And there are times, though, in history when in a particular part of the world the impact of the gospel is such that the kingdom of God infiltrates the culture to such an extent that the kingdom of God is dominant. Now, Scotland is one of the few countries in the world where that has been the case. Twice in the 16th century, around the time of the Reformation, and in the 19th century, barely 150 years ago, I'm currently rereading a biographical account of Thomas Chalmers and the period in which we live. Thomas Chalmers is the person after whom we have named Chalmers Church. And the title of that book, and it's an empirical study, um, Thomas Chalmers and the Godly Commonwealth. And that book describes empirically how Scotland for a period in the mid-19th century was Christian. Not culturally Christian, but a real national allegiance to Christ among perhaps even the majority of Scottish people. Now, there are times like that when the history of a country, the impact of the gospel has been such that the kingdom of God is dominant in a nation. It would be true um, of, of, of Wales at times in its history, perhaps of, of, of Northern Ireland. There's only so much you can do with million pounds for soundproofing. <laughs> I hope that does not to offend you if that was your child. <laughs> you know how that, that strange thing is, you, you, if you're a parent, you know. <laughs> uh, if it's your, so, let's get back into this. Now, there are times in the history of a country when that happens. And, and Scotland is a time where that has happened. But that's not normal. That's not normal. It's exceptional. It's very unusual. It's not the normal pattern in the Bible. The normal pattern in this world before the return of Jesus the normal experience of the true living church of Jesus Christ will be opposition and difficulty. 
because that church is at odds with a prevailing worldview. And when Jesus returns and the kingdom of God becomes the kingdom of this world and the new creation, then it will be different. But for now, in this world, there is a clash of kingdoms. A normal Christian experience is one of opposition and difficulty. That's really important that we get that. It's really important as we move as a culture into normal times that we don't panic. Because the great danger when you move from a period where the church is dominated and Christianity has dominated the country and then the culture, that what you do as the church is that you collapse to be like the culture, to keep the same hearing, to keep the same footing, and you change the gospel. The gospel is repent and believe for the forgiveness of your sins, and you change it. And great swathes of the church in the West have gone down that path because it's easier for a time. And then the church withers and dies. Andy, go and see if there's a door open here. There might be. Okay. They're in the changing bit. Okay. Good. Poor we soul. I hope you heard all of that. Yeah? So Thessalonians, what it's doing is it's saying, look, your experience as a church in Thessalonica is normal. Difficulty, suffering, if you're holding on to the gospel and the word of God is normal. And that's what we are increasingly experiencing in the West. The church, the living church, is out of step with the culture. This week, the, the Scottish government um, published um, statutory guidance on the delivery of relationships, sexual health, and parenthood education in schools. Now, I'm not making any pejorative comment on that, other than the fact that it's just a completely different world now. And we mustn't panic as Christians. What's really helpful in the documentation is that it respects faiths and worldviews that are different. But it's a completely different world, the world of our children's education. We just need to accept that. Except that the church is distinctive. Now, lest they or we think what we should do is bunker down, hide away from the world, hold on until Jesus returns, the opposite is the case. Instead, we are to hold out the gospel in the world. We are to witness actively as the kingdom of God in this world, not in a belligerent way, not in a shouty way, but just as communities, local churches, living distinctively, holding on to the gospel and the word of God and speaking it out ironically, persuasively into the world and never apologetically and never with any sense of hopelessness for the very heart of the message of the gospel and of the living church is hope for humanity, hope for the world. But it's hard to be a Christian to be a living Christian church. 
but it's of infinite worth. Now, uh, what Paul does in the back end of the letter is, uh, is give us solid words of encouragement uh, to an authentic living uh, church holding on to the gospel uh, and holding on to the, the word of God in a time uh, where that is, uh, is just against the current, against the main uh, uh, stream. And uh, what I've done is I've just set these verses out and we'll uh, just touch on them as they are. So finally, brothers and sisters, um, pray for us. Now, just focus on the very fundamental principle there, pray. So to the living church, in a difficult time to be church, pray. Prayer is central to the life of this church in Thessalonica because prayer expresses dependent trust on the Lord and in the Lord's uh, uh, power. Prayer is not essentially something that Christians do, it is who Christians are. And when we gather together as a church to pray, and we do that principally once a month when everything else stops in the week, we gather to pray, we're doing something born of a clear understanding that we live and witness as a church in a supernatural dynamic that depends on the Lord and His power. When we gather together as a church to pray, we are doing something born of a confidence that through prayer there will be progress and advance. Now here, we, we try to do that once a month, in other ways, of course, but on a Tuesday night, preceded by a meal, so we can um, spend time mixing with one another across generations in the church. And over the past week, we planned out that prayer meeting for the year. And I was talking to someone, if you ever speak to me in the week, you're going to hear something about what's happening on the Sunday, and a few ministers in the room are nodding at that point. Um, and I was saying we planned it out. And the person said to me, why do you plan a prayer meeting? Isn't it a spontaneous thing? And absolutely, there needs to be a spontaneity. But the reason we plan it out is so that we pray for everything. We cover everything. The reason we plan it out is that when we get, say, Richard and, and Yuko and uh, welcome H, we can't mention your name or where you're from, but another of our partners from a part of the world that we, we can't disclose, welcome to you. When we get you guys on live stream from the other side of the world, we need to plan that so that what you tell us it fills our minds and hearts for the year ahead to pray. Many in our church family meet to pray monthly. Normally there's up to 80, 90, 100 people who come. Let me ask you, though, if you don't come, to start coming if you're a regular here. Why? Because you're being there, whether praying out loud if we sit around tables, or praying silently, or simply saying amen to those who are comfortable praying, or even, as I sometimes do, drift off into another world and then pray the same prayer that someone else has prayed. That's all okay. Your being there matters. It matters to God, it matters to the others, and it matters to you, because it will put into your life and heart a vitality, and a desire and a pleasure and a confidence to say to God, we need you. So please come. Tuesday the 22nd of August, we kick off. 
Brothers and sisters, Paul says, pray for us. Paul asks the church in Thessalonica to pray for him and for Silence and Timothy, his fellow gospel workers. A healthy gospel church is always outward-looking, never inward-looking. The harder it gets, the more you look out. The harder it gets, the more you look out. It's healthy to look out. Gospel partnership with others. Two specific things Paul asked him to pray for. One, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Sometimes in the Bible you get wonderful phrases. Uh, you just couldn't put that any better. What do we pray for you, Paul? What do we pray for Chalmers for the year ahead? What do we pray for all of these uh, partner churches we have? What do we pray for Richard and Yuko and H and others around the world that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and run fast? It's a great image. It's a beautiful statement. Now there's a statement for the church in the West. Pray that the church will pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Right from the start in this local church in Thessalonica, they had um, recognized that the, what the apostles had taught them was uh, not the words of men, but the word of God, which is at work in them. That's a phrase from the first letter. And that is the conviction, the heartbeat of the church in Thessalonica, and it's the conviction in the heartbeat of Chalmers thus far. And Paul encourages us to pray that the year ahead in this church and in other churches would be a year where the word of the Lord may speed ahead. And the word of the Lord means the, the Bible preached, taught, studied, read, spoken, received, that changes our lives. And through a whole range of contexts, Sundays, small groups, one-to-ones with internationals. What does it mean to pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead in the coming year? Well, it means to pray for everyone engaged in the ministry of the word as they work hard with the word in preparation. Way back when I was the assistant minister in what was St. Catherine's then, which is the best job in the world. It's the best job in the world. Don't tell anyone I said that. I used to email, I had a support group. And every, I have one now just to assure you, every Saturday morning, I would email them with, what I was preaching on on the Sunday and the main burdens or messages, in it, and they all prayed for me. And, and uh, last night, I started all over again. Just a gap of about 22 years. It matters so much that we pray for what's coming up on a Sunday. We pray for those who equip others to teach the Bible in the church. We call them uh, growth group leaders. In other words, the leaders of our small groups all meet with a leader who helps them, equips them to teach the Bible. And the reason for that is so that the, the, the Word of God is released through the life of the church. Praying that the Word of God would speed ahead is praying for families in the church. Devotion. 
all of these things are concerned with the ministry of the Word and those engaged in it, and it's right that we pray for that. But to pray that the Word will speed ahead, just sort my ears, means more than that. It is an exciting thing. When you pray that the Word of the Lord may speed ahead, you're not just praying for the preachers, the teachers, the Bible study leaders, the hearers, all the rest of it. Because the Word of God, the Bible, is inspired, it is living, it is dynamic, it is the power of God, it's the sword of the Spirit, it's supernatural. And so to pray for the Word of the Lord to speed ahead is to pray that this dynamic, supernatural Word, God's Word, will in its power change people's lives. Because that's what the Word of God is. That the Word will save people, that people will meet Jesus in the Word. Now note the connection between these two dimensions. We pray for the word of the Lord to speed ahead. We pray for the dynamic power of the word to be at work in their lives. And we pray for all engaged in the ministry of the word. And these two dimensions connect because what we need to work so hard to do is teach the word of God as it is. Because that's when the power of God is manifested through the word. Now it's good to ask at the start of a year, are we really persuaded by that? One of the benefits of training people, and we train lots of people here, is that they train us. Every year, they, they ask questions, the ones that I'm mentoring, and I'm sure Roger and Jay are the same, that are so direct and so honest and so helpful that it checks, checks us all the time. Over the past few years, and this last year in particular, one of the areas I've been challenged in by our leaders in training, is this, that whatever pastoral situation I am in, and there's a good many, one-on-ones, to spend a significant proportion of the time reading the Word of God. I can talk about it. I can explain the gospel. I can pray with people. But I needed personally to grow in my confidence in the supernatural power of the Word when I give the time, and now before I go and visit, I'm not telling you this because I'm good at it. I'm telling you this because I wasn't good at it. Every time I would go and see somebody now, I would print off some Bible, think about what to read, and what a difference it's made in their lives. It is the word of the Lord that changes people. That's a lesson I'm learning. You might be shocked at that. But it is so easy. No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. When you're with someone to talk, to listen, that's so important. But the dynamic of a of a pastoral discipling relationship is that must yield to sitting under the shepherd's word because it changes us. Now, uh, alongside the prayer that the word of um, the Lord will speed ahead, um, just don't worry, we're not going to get all the way through this. And um, I tried to persuade the guys in our sermon prep meeting this week that I could only just preach on verse 1, but um, 
they, um, they, they said no, but they're on holiday now, so they don't know. <laughs> You'll tell them anyway, won't you? Sometimes it's good to preach on one verse, not, not out of context. And you see, we, we put this in the context of a church that, that, that's not easy, and, and this church that's not easy is praying that the Word of God will run ahead. It's good sometimes just to focus on a, on a verse. That it will be honored, honored by the church, acknowledging that it's the Lord's word. Not worshipped, because only God is to be worshipped, but honored. Honored by all those who are engaged in the ministry of the word. Honored by everyone who hears the word. And whoever we are, teacher, preacher, minister, elder, shepherd, Sunday club leader, Whoever we are, we are all hearers of the Word. You know, there is a big difference between listening and hearing. There's a big difference between coming and being engaged. But the Bible says, don't just listen, don't just hear, receive the Word. Embrace it. Let it raise your affections for Jesus every time. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. We pray that for ourselves, and we pray it for others that we are connected with across this country and in the world. And one of the expressions and answers to that prayer is training people and sending them out. Last uh, Sunday was uh, Will and Sarah's last Sunday. And uh, I found that, like anyone who goes particularly hard, I found it harder and harder and harder. It's not easy to send people away. But it's entirely right. Now, how are we doing? It's 11.32. Should we go for another half an hour? That's a great verse, isn't it? It's a wonderful verse as we kick off for another year. We pray as a church that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honoured. We pray that for Chalmers. We pray it for Scotland. We pray it for England. We pray it for the West. We pray it for Japan. We pray it for East Asia. We pray it for the Middle East. That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honoured. Just have confidence as you pray that, that if that fire catches in the hearts of the emerging generation of, uh, of Christians, not leaders, all of you, all of us, then our country and the church will be far better for it. Now, let's just skip to the uh, end. Let me just read the other stuff, though. Pray, secondly, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all of faith. Um, what Paul is asking them to pray is that those who oppose the gospel, not that they'll be removed, but that God's people will be delivered. God delivers us sometimes from difficulty or in difficulty or through difficulty. There is a church in Scotland at the moment looking to buy a church, looking to build a church building. They are being very, very strongly opposed 
Just pray for them. A Christian minister seeking to make progress in the church where they serve, facing focused and sustained hostility from some individuals. And it can work the other way around. Gospel people in a church facing opposition from someone who purports to lead them as their minister. A Christian seeking to live openly and distinctively as a Christian where they work. Pray for their deliverance. And then you get in the middle, and I've put this on the sheet, but the Lord is faithful. That's a great, great reminder. And suddenly in this, in this passage about praying for stuff, praying for stuff, the, the coin flips. And we're now listening to God, but the Lord is faithful. He is faithful. What does faithful mean? It means that God is faithful to himself. In that... Uh, he will not share his glory with another. He will not be mocked. He will build his church. And he is faithful to his people. He is for us. His power is behind the commitment to his priorities, his word, and his gospel. You either go his way according to his word with the promise of his power behind you, or you go a different way in the church because there is an easier there's a it's easier in the culture, but the Bible does not promise that there is any power behind you, and it will wane, it will wane, it always has in history. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. God will enable you to stand firm. He will guard you as we embark on another year as a church. With, we pray, a commitment to the Word of God and to the Gospel and prayer. We are embarking on another year of spiritual uh, difficulty. That's just normal. Every step forward for the Gospel there is difficulty. Sometimes the opposition from outside, sometimes from inside, sometimes from inside of us. A sinful heart. The Lord will establish us and guard us. The ground we stand on will shake, but the Lord will establish us. The spiritual opposition will be real, but the Lord will guard us. We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will doing the things we uh, command. Now that's a, a wonderful, wonderful statement. Paul says to us, Paul says, I have confidence in you as a church that you are doing and will doing the things that we command. But these three words that he puts in, I have confidence in the Lord about you. So it's the, who are we as Christians? We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are, I am as a Christian. We are drawn together in a living local church, bonded together. We're a body. And Jesus Christ lives in us by His Spirit. So Paul says, I have confidence in Him, in you, that you will stand firm. So His confidence, as He looks at us, is in His Son. Extraordinary. And let me finish with this. Verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now, just think of the two bookends this morning. Pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. What a great mandate that is for the church. It is outward looking. It is about growth. It's about transformed lives. It's about evangelism. It's about reaching into this community with the gospel. And where does he end? 
he ends with what is a wonderful, wonderful, pastoral, caring, loving exhortation. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. When the Bible says heart, it doesn't mean this bit. It means the whole of me. Heart in the Bible means mind, emotions, will, your whole being. So this is a prayer that think of yourself or someone in the church, perhaps somebody going through a difficult time. This is, is not a prayer, it's a confident statement. May the Lord, the Lord direct. You see, the Lord who lives in you direct your whole being towards what? The love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Not the love of God that flows out through us to others. Not the steadfastness of Christ that is in us by the Spirit. But may the love, may the Lord direct you to His love, God's love, and Christ's steadfastness for the year that lies ahead. May the Lord cause us to live in the realm of his love. May the Lord cause us to stand fast in the realm of the steadfastness of Christ. Let our minds, our emotions, our wills, our affections be directed to and embraced by the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. This past week, I had the privilege of visiting an elderly couple in their home. And the Bible text that I'd printed out to read with them brought together these two dimensions, the love of God for us and the steadfastness of Christ. Let me just read a few verses from the Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And then listen to this. The psalmist says, For he knows, God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord towards us is from everlasting to everlasting. And what that is saying, and it says it to folks in our church family as they grow old, that they will grow old and their mortal bodies will die and their mortal flesh will be resurrected and they will live for eternity with Jesus. And that's ultimately what keeps us going. 
May the Lord direct us to his love and to the steadfastness of Jesus Christ in the year ahead of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these powerful and moving verses in this letter written to a real church, a church experiencing the difficulty of living distinctively in a world that sings to a very different tune. And we pray for this church and many others in this country and overseas, and indeed for the church in this country and across the UK, that the word of the Lord will speed ahead and be honoured. And we pray too that in the life of this local church and in others that we are partnered with, as people experience the challenges of life, the suffering, the sicknesses that come, that will you direct our hearts to your love and to the steadfastness of Jesus. And may we be found as a church to be faithful to what you call us to do over the coming year. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.